It is uh, Sunday, September 17th, 2017. I feel like every time I come to this pulpit, I'm coming from somewhere. And uh, in these last, since Tuesday, uh, I drove to Matamoros, picked up Wendy Salinas, Mario Salinas, Alma Salinas, Amalita Salinas, and Cody Schmidt, and we drove um, all the way to Juarez through Mexico, uh, unable to cross the U.S. border on the shortest route. Um, it was 20 hours of goodness, man. Uh, one, one way, goodness. Uh, since I last talked with you guys, uh, it was 2,700 miles, so like New York to California. And only two brides, and I made it back into the United States. Some would say bribe, some would say a gift opens the way for the giver in the presence of an authority. Uh, at least Solomon said something like that. Um, I wanted to talk to you this morning about Category 3 storms. And uh, brace yourself, we uh, have been talking about storms a lot lately. Uh, this is going to have a different twist. And uh, Let's take our first slide and we'll start there. This is how you're taught to define hurricanes. And we've all heard more of this than you want to hear, right? Uh, you got a minimum, a moderate, an extensive, and an extreme, categories one through four. And every once in a while, you can get a category five. This morning, I want to talk about the four categories. And what is happening in our church is at the same time we are being buffeted on the outside by storms, we're being buffeted on the inside by spiritual storms. Uh, I want to read you something, and y'all forgive the adjustment that is happening here. This comes from Matthew 7. Yeah, I feel like I should hold you after class. From Matthew 7 and verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I'm encouraged by this church because of what you endure. Uh, when I look out and I see the families that are in the church fighting through tears at baby announcements, I know why. I know what it is to have children, to lose children, all of those things. When we look out and at wedding announcements, we see single people fighting through tears and yet smiling. When we see what you endure for the name of Jesus, that you can rejoice with people who are rejoicing in the midst of your own pain, that you can be crucified to your own thoughts, desires, and emotions and lift up the will of the Lord above and beyond all other things, then I know that you are a house built upon the rock. But the house built upon the rock still endures storms. There is no time in a healthy Christian's life that you are not being resisted by the enemy. When you feel a lack of resistance by the enemy, you have either reached the parasusia and are in glory, or you have compromised with the enemy and he's got you right where he wants you. So when Christians want to just be led by their peace, that's a scary thing to me. Jesus is a prince of peace and he's in conflict in every chapter of the Bible. You cannot be led by the absence of conflict. You have to be led by the Word of God knowing that you are in the right conflict. Amen? Amen? 
With that in mind, I want to read to you from Matthew 13. This will be the second time in a row I've addressed you with a majority New Testament book of Matthew sermon. You're going to be able to put your finger in Matthew 13 and we're going to camp out there. Amen? Amen. This is because I want to make something so clear that there's no way that we can miss it. And that is we are going to survive these storms. Amen? In Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3, say there when you're there. I'm going to read to you 3 through 9. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear." Do I have any people in the building today that are missing an ear? If I do, I want to pray for you and address you first. No. Everybody in the building's got two ears, right? Let me know you can hear me by saying something. It is such an interesting thing. To start with, this parable is probably misnamed. If you've heard this is the parable of the sower, the sower is the same in every instance in it. What he is sowing is the word of God. You can't call it the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed and come to the right conclusion. This ought rightly to be called the parable of the four soils. They are what is different in every case. And in learning their differences, we find out something about our lives. We find out something that will feed you today, challenge you today, and in God's name, cause the kingdom to move forward. Do you want that? Think about the parable's homiletic for just a second. In other words, there is a unique phrase at the end meant to catch your attention. He who has ears, let him hear. That is Jesus' way of telling you this parable is going to take a special kind of spiritual discernment because everybody there had ears, but they were not going to hear what he said. Everybody I'm speaking to today, I want to actually hear what the Spirit is saying. You all have ears, but it's possible to speak to people and they never get it. Do you understand what I mean? How many of you have preached and they never got it? How many of you have explained it and they never got it? Sometimes they even assign you motives that you never intended and were not present. We want to get it today. Something's going to have to happen beyond our intellect. It's easy enough to understand Jesus' words, but how His words apply to you personally is going to take a visitation by the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, what we are looking for today is His Spirit and His Word to minister to everyone who is in the room. We can't do anything about those that are not in the room this morning, so we're going to focus on those that are in the room. Amen? You ever put together something that you thought would bless people and the people who need it most don't show up? That's like an unwritten rule. 
How many of you have held house meetings in your life? Taught Bible studies. Keep your hands up. Taught Bible studies. Taught Sunday school. And when you were preparing, because you love the people, you're thinking about what will affect them. And then the ones that you were hoping the Word of God would enter into and change their situation so much were absent. Now put your hand down if that has never happened to you but you've taught. See, every hand is still up. It is spiritual warfare. And it shows up in very physical ways. It might help us to look at these soils as categories for a minute. Amen? Now, this is going to hurt a little bit. And I'm just telling you up front. Seed on the soil that became a hard path. This is the first category. The Bible actually says it was trampled on and became a hard path. You have to compare the synoptics to get that. By definition, if you have received the Word of God, you're not in category one then, are you? Because this seed falls on the hard path and birds eat it up. And so they, it never takes root. There's never something growing. There's never a, a real Christian born here. Now that may apply to some in the room, but the vast majority of you have in some way received the Word of God that is showing in your life. Is that true or not? True. That takes us to the second category. Seed that fell in rocky soil. The seed that fell in the rocky soil sprung up quickly. In fact, the only thing that is said to be negative about it is that as quickly as it sprang up, it falls away. I hope that's nobody in this room. But how many of you have been saved longer than two years? Raise your hands if you've been saved longer than two years. Okay. I don't know at what point we move from rocky soil to another soil. But certainly, at some point in time, you are no longer a newbie in the kingdom. Nobody who would be, quote, a short time. If you've been saved longer than five years, raise your hand. Okay? Been saved longer than ten years. Look, we're still looking at 50% of the church saved longer than ten years. Almost everybody in the church saved longer than two years. Probably category two is not what we're talking about today. Right? I want to warn you with those kind of things, and I will. But category two is not really the majority of the sheep in here. Let's skip to category four for a minute then. What were the characteristics of the good soil? Well, it produced fruit, right? Produced a harvest. So in this room, how many people have taken a Christian from conception? They were born again in your ministry. You have discipled them. They are now making other Christians and are healthily reproducing the kingdom without your assistance. How many in the room would say that you've done that with 20 or more? 30 or more? We're probably not in category four then, are we? Because the minimum requirement for good soil, the minimum harvest that is yielded is 30, 60, or 100 fold. See, that is a harsh application of the categories, but... Could we put that first slide back up again? No, the first one. So when you look at a Category 1 storm, it's from 74 to 95 miles an hour. At 96 miles an hour, it becomes a Category 2. 96 is a long ways from 74, and yet the bar had to fall somewhere, right? In all three accountings of this, 
the minimum for good soil was at least 30 more like you. That's an incredibly indicting thing, isn't it? Today we want to talk about the third category. And we do because you've just proven through analysis that almost everyone in this building is in the third category of soil. That's strong, isn't it? When you recognize that you have not arrived, that you are not done, you are not at the harvest of the end of the age and you have not completed the harvest in your life, do you know what that means? You still have work to do. You still have learning to do. You still have maturing to do. You are not done yet. Now you could immediately cross your arms and say, Pastor saying I'm a failure. No, you'd be a failure if you stopped now. You hear that? In the kingdom, the way to succeed is to continue. To stop makes you a failure. The idea that because you started is the same as finishing is like the two kings arguing with each other. One who puts on his armor is not like one who takes it off. This was a Hebrew way to say starting a thing is not the same as finishing a thing. It is so important that we finish what we start. Let's walk through the categories in the self-analysis again. You ready? The hard path. This soil had to get this way and, and it was made that way for a reason. We'll come back to it. The rocky soil, the short time Christian, the thorny soil, those who want to produce a harvest and are growing but are contending with things that are around them and the good soil, that which is already producing 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now that we've established what category 3 is, Let's take a minute and see what the scripture says are the characteristics of the thorny soil. Is that fair? Since it's the home you live in, since it's the field you're planted in, since it applies mostly to you, this is where we are to spend most of our time. You need to know that Matthew says about the thorny soil that the worries of this life did something. The worries of this life. You know, that's interesting because Luke, he doesn't say the worries of this life. Do you know how Luke says it? This life's worries. So what's the difference in the order? Well, the two men were writing from their perspective. One of them attributes the worries to anybody who's alive. (laughs) The other simply says the worries of this life, the worries that are endemic to this life. But they're talking about the same thing. Second category. our, Our second facet of the third category. The deceitfulness of wealth. Now, it's so easy to read this and say, well, I'm not wealthy. It doesn't apply to me. By the world standards, you're wealthy. By a global standard, you're wealthy. But let's not do that now. Let's look at the way Mark says it. Mark takes the same characteristics that Matthew said, but he adds desires for other things. How many of you have ever desired something other than the kingdom even for a moment? If your hand is not up, you're dead, lying, not paying attention, something else. Desire other things. Who does this not belong to? Do you see how broad the category is? By the time you get to Mr. Luke, he has all the categories that the others have, the exact same thing, but adds to it and pleasures. How do you define that? Pleasures. 
you know? Pastor, I enjoy chocolate. Is that wrong? Is it, is it wrong? Many of us have worries in this life. Or as Luke puts it, life's worries. Many of us desire other things. Many of us have pleasures. When you're thinking about that particular idea, you have to ask yourself a few questions, don't you? If you know that you are in the third category, if you know that you are on soil where there are thorns, and that those thorns, let's put those on, are worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, desire for other things, and pleasures, we're going to have to learn how to identify what is good and bad in that category, huh? Is chocolate wrong? Is coffee wrong? Is water wrong? Do we become breatharians? You know, we'll be fed only by what we breathe in. Help us identify what is a thorny worry or what is a thorny desire or what is a thorny pleasure. We could ask a couple questions. Is the pleasure that you're talking about adding to or detracting from your fruitfulness? Well, that's an incredible question, isn't it? Is what I'm doing good or not good? Well, does it make you more fruitful in the kingdom or does it keep you from being fruitful in the kingdom? When I say that, you immediately want a third category, don't you? Uh, it's neutral. It, it, it neither harms nor helps. There is no neutral category. Everything is either born of God and it is good, or it's not born of God and for you it's bad. Is the desire adding to or detracting from your fruitfulness? Is the worry adding to or detracting from your fruitfulness? If you don't allow yourself a neutral column... All of a sudden, when you're taking the inventory of your life, it's a pretty sobering thing, isn't it? You start to understand why you're in the third soil. You start to understand that there are thorns all around you all of the time. Since Matthew and Mark say that the unattended to thorn will choke and make unfruitful the Christian, and Luke says it will cause them not to come to maturity, how important is it that we ask these questions? How many of you want to be choked? Private, choke yourself. How many of you want to be choked? Anybody in here want to become unmature? You know, I love that all these babies are being born, right? There's going to be eight more. I mean, we're, we're working on the dozen right now. If we have to visit those babies in the NICU, that'll be tough. It's not going to happen. All of them are going to be healthy. But if you had to visit the baby in the NICU in the 33rd year of his life, in the neonatal intensive care unit, and he's 33 years old, that'd be a real sign something's wrong, wouldn't it? In Christianity, we're often allowed to stay immature forever. And you ought never be allowed to stay immature. If something's not growing, it's on its way to die. How do those things happen? Is the pleasure in your life adding to your spiritual maturity or is it detracting from your spiritual maturity? So, well, I just like to fish. There's nothing wrong with it. Amen. The disciples fish too. When you're fishing, are you becoming more spiritually mature or less spiritually mature? Because two men can go fishing and that answer be different for both of them. I don't know about you, but I've had the Lord deal with me about the strangest things. Eric, I don't like the Fox News app in your life. Right? Okay. Yes, sir. Get rid of the Fox News app. A few years later, I'm like, maybe, maybe I could have the Fox News app again. 
The Lord said, nope. Now, I'm pretty sure some of you got news apps on your phones. Not a problem, right? The thing is, is it was not adding maturity to my life, right? Uh, all kind of ways that you could justify that, right? Particularly when other people are doing it. Please, I'm not against the Fox News app. I'm telling you, in my life, it was not something that was producing good fruit. Does that make sense to you? Asking yourself regarding your desires. Is this desire adding to or detracting from my spiritual maturity? Earlier, we were talking about your fruitfulness. Well, if you're not fruitful right now, it's hard to say whether it's adding to or detracting from your fruit. But certainly, we can talk about maturity, huh? Are these desires leading me into a life that is more like Christ or a life that is less like Christ? How about worry? (laughs) Are there some things you should be concerned about? That's the nice word we use for worry. Of course. If you see the wolf approaching, you need to pay careful attention. You should be concerned about it. That concern should drive you towards spiritually mature prayer. But if instead it's causing a panic attack and you to bite your nails and fret or lash out at people to protect yourself or any other immature response, then you know that worry is not good. It has the ability to choke your faith, right? Just to make us a little more uncomfortable. Let's talk about the origin of a thorn for a minute. As we think this will start to get pretty clear. It'll start to move your heart in the way that we intended and be a little less intellectual. You ready? Luke 8.15 says this, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a good crop. The good soil was the human heart that heard and retained and persevered in the word of God. What was the house built on a rock? Those who hear it and put it into practice through the storm. What is the good soil? The noble and good heart who hears the word, retains it, and perseveres in it. Well, where does the bad soil come from then? Where does bad soil come from? Is it just it is? Hebrews 3.13 says that your heart is hardened by sin's deceitfulness how did the path get hardened says it was trampled on by men you read the synoptic account of the parable of the soils and the hard path is hard because it's trampled on by men luke 8 5 says that trampled on by men how does your heart get hard it's trampled on by sin you can no longer receive the word of god takes a miracle for a seed to get through. The word trampled, when you think about trampled, has that come up anywhere else in the scripture? In Hebrews 10, 20, those that have received the word of God, but have trampled underfoot the son of God, there's nothing left for them. Can you imagine that the soil condition of a man's heart could be so hardened by sin, so trampled on that it doesn't receive anything new? Well, of course. It happens all of the time. Earlier, we are speaking about people who have not become Christians. But it's very hard to have sin deceive your heart and you trample on the Son of God if you're not interacting with the Word of God and interacting with Christ. Let me ask you something. Here's an example of a hard heart. 
right? A hard heart I have. You tell me whether this is like Christ or not. So uh, Jennifer and I are arguing, and she says, honey, you'll just need to pray. How did that make me feel? Matt said spiritual because Matt loves me and would defend me to death. How do you think it made me feel? <laughs> Angry. Somebody used a British expression. Uh, livid. Why would the suggestion that you need to pray ever produce such a hard-hearted response? Because you have a sinful, wicked, unbelieving heart that wants to do whatever the hell it wants to do. And it resents anything that suggests you're not acting appropriately. Isn't that true? That's the condition of my heart many times. What do you have to do with your wicked, sinful, and unbelieving heart? You have to have it reformed by the Word of God. By receiving it, retaining it, and persevering in it. One of the first signs that your heart is becoming hard, that it's not just thorns growing up around you, they're overcoming you, is when you no longer want to hear that. Don't you ever say that to me again. I'm going to go find a new group to hang out with. I'm not hanging out with that person anymore. Why? Because your wicked heart wants what your wicked heart wants. Now, lest you think I'm talking about somebody else, understand something. All of you have a wicked, sinful, and unbelieving heart. I do too. But the Word of God can pierce it. And you can work the soil of your heart. And you can keep refining it by the Word. You can keep tilling the soil with the Word. And you, to your surprise, can produce heavenly things that were deposited in your heart and grew right out of it. But it is not the condition of the normal man. Turn with me to Numbers 33. Let's talk about where thorns come from. Y'all doing okay? It's about to get real in here. When we're talking about thorns, this church in a message called Paul's Thorn has covered this principle already, but I want to get to it again. Beginning in Numbers 33, verse 50. On the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all. Drive out how many? The inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy. 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 Their carved images and cast idols. And demolish their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it. Look at verse 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. Where do thorns come from? Thorns clearly come from that area of your sinful nature that was not driven out at the cross. Thorns are the product of the natural condition of a man's heart. So when you are looking at Numbers 33, there is this kind of symbiotic relation, not symbiotic, cause and effect relationship. Let's go to that slide. And you can see, when you don't drive out all the inhabitants of the land, they change your vision. 
When you don't destroy all the destroy all the what? They were carved images, idols. They become thorns in your side. You know what this is pointing us to? The condition of your heart and the soil around us is one that is polluted by idols. And the idol is anything that is competing with the kingdom of God. Let's take that slide again just for a second. You can go back to the very uh, the second slide. When you have... Uh, <laughs> you had it the first time, I'm sorry. No, keep going. There. When you have a worry of this life, is that competing with what you know the Lord has called you to do? Is the worry pushing you into fellowship into the word into maturity or is it pushing you out is it causing you to be fruitful or unfruitful when your money allows you to do something that god did not say for you to do is it pushing you towards the kingdom or away from the king how many of you have ever felt bad you probably needed to go worship but instead you went and bought food all of us fat guys are to feel that right now, huh? How many of you girls ever thought a new outfit would make your life better? New haircut. When you see a woman who has dramatically changed her hair, 90% of the time you can walk up and say, what's going on in your life? 90% of the time. They're pregnant, they're in love, they're out of love. Something has happened when there is a dramatic overnight change in somebody's hair. You know why? We feel like that will fix us, at least for a moment. Wealth can be deceitful. How many of you ever bought a new car sure that it was going to improve your life? How many ever bought a new gun ensure that it would prove your or, or sure that it would change your life? It's an incredible thing. Our wealth can deceive us. How about just desires for other things? Like, all I ever get is this manna. I mean, I love church. I love the people at the church. But sometimes, man, I just want to, what? You just, well, what comes next? Go let your hair down. Just go cut loose. Just go act a fool. Just backslide a little bit. You want to just, what? See, those are thorns. I'm not going to church tonight. You know why? Because I just want to be the way that I am with no challenge. Those are thorns in our life. Come on, aren't they there though? Yes. Be, be honest with yourself for a minute. Aren't they there? We, uh, we love to go to church when things are going good. But dear God, getting a disagreement with somebody you sit next to every Sunday. And you are in such a bind. Because if you choose another spot. They're going to know something's wrong. So, you know what I'll do? I just, <clears throat> I wasn't feeling that good that Sunday. It's, a, it's like a white lie. The reason I'm not really there is, I don't know, the spiritual fumes are getting to me. Somebody left our church one time because they said, the carpet burned their eyes. Now, I knew it was a lie when they said it. We, we tried to be graceful. They eventually came back and praise God. If it hurts your feelings, I'm saying it, then you're not healed yet. I'm not trying to dig in a wound. It's just, can we tell the truth? Probably the carpet is not why anybody leaves the church. The carpet is the excuse that they give for breaking fellowship. 
How many times in a day are you tempted to do something that could fall into the category of a pleasure that Jesus didn't tell you to go into? Yeah, I'm telling you, we're not even talking the low-hanging fruit here, okay? We're not talking about lust or greed or, or those, those easy ones. We're talking about just, you know, maybe he was leading you to read your word, leading you to pray, leading you to do something else, but you weren't being led anywhere except the one thing you wanted to do that day. You know what that is? That's thorny soil. See, the thorns are unregenerate, unsubmitted, unconquered worries, desires, pleasures, riches, and the deceitfulness of wealth in your sinful nature or your heart. You know where that list came from? The Synoptic Gospels. They keep you from maturing and producing fruit. In fact, Matthew and Mark says they choke. Sometimes you got to choke a dog. They choke the word out of your life. The specific word for choke here is a special one. Nigo. P-N-I-G-O. It shows up only in a couple places in all of the word. When we're talking choke. You know when the pigs were driven into the water? The water choked them. How fruitful were they? How mature were they? And there's this other place. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Keep your finger in Matthew 13. Matthew 18, verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Don't you wish that's where this parable ended? The church is often telling us that's the end of a man's spiritual walk. His debts are forgiven, he's done. Help in this life, heaven in the next. Every day is Friday, you have your best life now, we're just done. But that's not the reality of the Christian walk. You know, you can have a heart that's so hard that the Word can't penetrate it. You don't even get saved. You can have a heart that the Word penetrates, but it only lasts for a short time, and so you burn away. But where most of us are is after our debts are forgiven. We are wrestling with the good that we know that we must do and the evil that we want to do. And because the devil is so deceptive and we are so pliable in his hands, We stop defining it as good and evil. And we want a category that says other. Is what I'm doing causing me to mature or detracting from my maturity? Well, it's really kind of neutral. Really, there was a tree of the knowledge of good, neutrality, and evil. You follow me? So we first, we blur the lines between good and evil. Secondly, we start to feel very entitled to all the things that we want to do. Or not do. This parable, of course, continues. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to... He began to... Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. Let me ask you, how fruitful was the unmerciful servant? How mature was the unmerciful servant? A thorn grew up in his life. Let's look at the thorny soil characteristics. 
Did he have a worry that grew up in his life? Maybe after having faced such a traumatic scenario where he could have been killed but was spared, he never wanted to be in that position again. So when he had the opportunity, he choked somebody that owed him money. Sometimes fear makes us behave terribly. I get this a lot. You know, Pastor, I was scared you would think this. I was scared you would say this. I, you're an intimidating figure. You're, I get that a lot as an excuse for people's behavior. While it's understandable, I have fears of every kind too. You know, it's not excusable. I don't know why this man did what he did, but he did what he did. Does that make sense to you? How about the deceitfulness of wealth? Any of that involved in this man's thorn in his life? Is it incredible that three parables, or the three gospels telling the same story all mention wealth and riches as a real problem? Is that incredible? So if you can buy whatever you want, go wherever you want, and do whatever you want, is that dangerous? One man used to describe money as heroin. He said it was more addictive than heroin. And dear God, don't ever let me have more of it than I need. It's funny how things can change in somebody's life when they get more of it, though. People who set out with all of their heart and best interest on whatever blessings I get in my life, they're all for the Lord, feel more and more entitled to more and more blessing. And they don't say that they're going back on their word or they're breaking their commitment to the Lord. Do you know what they say? The Lord's just leading me in a new way. I don't know what this unmerciful servant went home and said, but I can almost guarantee you he didn't understand his condition. Do you know why? It takes ears to hear. And once you start to turn a deaf ear to what the Word of God is saying so that you can do what you want, it makes it that much harder to hear the Word of God. Look, before we go much further... Because we're going to go much further. Let's just ask the Lord for a second. Lord, let us hear what you're saying to us. Not somebody else. To us. Because the truth is, the third category is the last stop before the devil can keep... It's the last place he can mount his offensive to keep you from becoming fruitful. So it's the area of slaughter in Christians' lives. Holy Spirit, we just ask in the name of Jesus that you would move in our hearts and our lives, that none of us would be deceived by worry, by pleasure, by wealth, by other things, by desires. Lord, that we would be informed by your word. Lord, we acknowledge how easy it is for us to fall off track. And we are asking with all of our heart for you to move in this room today, that we would not be taken down a road that you do not want us to go down. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let me show you the Hebrew word for thorn. The thorn in your side. You ready for it? Coats. Strong's number 6975. These uh, symbols have a paleo meaning. When you are looking at the kuf, it has to do with a circle. When you are looking at the vav, it has to do with an attachment of some kind. And when you are looking at the sade... It has to do with a journey. You might say that thorns encircle you, hook you or attach to you, and take you on a journey you didn't want to go on. Most of the time, 
people don't end up in a place that they intended to be. So they don't admit to what happened to get them there. I know more people in the kingdom that started well than finished well. Don't you? No, think through that. Two of you said yes. And I'm not just talking crowd participation. I'm trying to engage you. Think about the people that you know that profess Jesus at some point in their life that seemed to really do good and then something happened. Are there more of them than people that you know have pressed into maturity? It's incredible. One brother told me last night as I charge up this hill, I look behind me and there are bodies everywhere and I'm broken by it. I said, brother, the kingdom's always been that way. But don't stop being broken by it. You know, most do not make it. That's why it's called the narrow way. And if you know that a thorn is a big reason that people don't make it, if you know that you're in a category where it's the biggest threat to you, then we have to identify them. Are there worries in your life? Well, of course there are. Are the worries causing maturity, causing you to be fruitful or not? Because if they're in the not category, you have to do something about it. Is there a deception that comes with what you can do? Your money, your own right arm, your abilities. Is it bringing you closer to the Lord or further from the Lord? Because if the answer is further from the Lord, you have to do something about it. If it's allowed to grow, if you don't do anything, it chokes you. How about desire for other things or pleasures? In other words, are there things creeping into your heart that you know can't be there, but you're content to let them be there because you'll get to it eventually? What if they get to you before you get to them? I've lived long enough in the kingdom, had enough close friendships, family members, people that I love with all the potential of anybody in this room. Some of them love the Lord a lot more than some of you in this room. And I watched the thorns wrap around their faith and begin to choke them. And you know what they're telling everybody the whole time? You're all wrong and I'm right. They do it every time. I'm not really straying. I'm not really falling. I'm not really in bad shape. The problem is with all of you. You hear it over and over and over. It is, it's like a broken record. Uh, suddenly the pastors that have guided them are mindless automatons controlled by some devilish alpha male. You hear this kind of stuff every time. The same thing. You know what I don't want to happen? I don't want you to be deceived by the things you allow in your life. I don't want you to get used to hating it when people correct you or thinking that you're beyond correction. You know why the third category is where you must be? Because if you're not in the third category, then you've arrived or you've fallen away. You follow me? If you ever see yourself as something other than the third category, you're at risk because of your damnable pride. I say damnable because it's exactly what pride does to you. Rajah Israel says, when a man is older than 60, he requires more uh, honor than God. Now, I had never heard that before. He says it's a common saying in India, and I only accept it because I honor his life. I see a man who doesn't want honor, and he's a man that can be esteemed but he knows that what was the damning thing in his 20s has no longer got a hold on him. 
what he struggles with now instead of lust is the need to be right. That's an incredible thing. The older we get, we really ought to see how often we've been wrong and it produced humility. But so often it goes the other way. When you've been where I've been and done what I've done and seen what I've seen. Pride of life, pride of life, pride of life. Uncorrectable, that's difficult, huh? Do you remember what Jesus' homiletic for the passage was? He who has, let him hear. Okay? I want you to hear this. You know what's working against hearing it? Just to draw the lines very clearly. Let's read the rest of Matthew 13. And suddenly, this will make itself clear. You still with me? Can you tell that I'm speaking to you on the most personal, real level that I know how? This church is going through storms. It's going to continue to go through storms. Do you know where this church will be when the storm has passed? Firmly on the rock. We will still be bearing fruit. We'll still be doing what I was doing last year, the year before, the year before that, for decades. I've seen a lot come and go. Um, The pastors, the elders, we're unmoved. We have taken our stand on the Word of God. And it is the only thing that we trust in. Now, people say that. But you have to discern in your life, have you desired something other? I mean, that's, that's the key. Other. Other food, other craving, other journey, other anything. Because when you accept other, do you know what you're doing? You're rejecting what you have that came from God. Yeah. Somewhere, right now, in the United States, there's a young man with all the potential that anybody could have. He's good-looking, he's musically talented, uh, an incredibly gifted human being. I loved him as much as I've ever loved anyone. And I can absolutely guarantee you he is hopelessly deceived by sin. And you know who doesn't know it? Him. Him. The whole church is wrong. Everybody that ever led him is wrong. In fact, most of the time... People that leave the right way end up building cities based on the wrong way. They look for others who will agree with them in the ways that they've been wrong, and they build their entire existence against whatever they came from. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have potential. It means that somewhere thorns went undealt with. And what are thorns? They come right out of the soil of your own heart, areas you refuse to bring under the conquering power of the blood of Christ. And they present themselves as things that you want, things that you need, things that you can do, whether you should or not. That's dangerous. You ready to go through Matthew 13? In Matthew 13, let's read Jesus explaining the parable. He does a better job of it than I do. Matthew 13 in verse 9. He who has ears... Let him hear. I'm sorry, I should have skipped down further to verse um, 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and received it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, I'm sorry, because of the word, he falls away quickly. Do you see what's at stake always? Standing on the word or not. 
The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it fruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. You ought to know what kind of soil someone is standing on by what kind of fruit they're producing, huh? If your life is defined by you don't receive the word, then you're not a Christian. If your life is defined by a very brief interaction with the Lord, then you're rocky soil in your heart. If your life is defined by a struggle with things that are growing in your life, but you're also growing, and it is a battle, then you're a Category 3 Christian. That's most of us. When our life is done, you are hoping that what you have produced is a 30, 60, and 100-fold. Does that make sense? Jesus said, though, that you needed ears to hear to understand what he was saying. You can understand what I just said without spiritual ears. We could write that down, you could understand those words, but you would have no idea how that applies to you. You ready for a secret of the kingdom? Let's go to verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Hearing that, do you immediately understand what he's talking about? See, I don't. I'm, I, like, I see his mouth moving, but I don't get what he's saying. It's in the scripture quoting that he now does that suddenly this becomes clear. Do you have a footnote for those seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not understand? Yes. You don't. Look carefully. You have a footnote for what Isaiah says. Uh, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You don't have a footnote in Matthew there. You know why? There is no text that says exactly that. Now, when Luke quotes it, he quotes it a little differently, and uh, people say it's Isaiah 6. But the thing is, is a long time before Isaiah, Isaiah is in 700 B.C., there's a text that they're all reading from, and it's the Psalms. I want to show you something. Isaiah, in both cases, and Jesus here, is quoting a principle in the Psalms that is the key to understanding the state of a man who falls but does not know he's falling. You ready for it? Matthew, I'm sorry, Psalm 115, verses 4 through 6. <laughs> Say there when you're there. Help a struggling preacher out. I have to feel bad now for making fun of guys that needed bifocals, trifocals, all the... I put these on, I can see this, I can't see you. I take these off, I can see you, but I can't see this. Uh, being a grandpa is difficult. Psalm 115, verse 4. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. According to the psalmist, what is the chief characteristic of an idol? It has all of the right features, but they don't perform the right function. Clouds that don't produce rain. Fields that don't produce fruit. Salt that is not salty. They have all of the right features, 
but they do not produce the right fruit. Psalm 135 verse 15 will bring this so clear to you that you will understand why it is possible to be choked by a thorn, declare that you are not being choked by a thorn, and everybody you've ever known is wrong, and you were right and feel perfectly justified and will know what to do. Are you in Psalm 135? The, verse 15, The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but they cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. What's verse 18 say? Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. When you trust in something other than the Word of God, what does it do to you? It makes you as deaf as the idol you're clinging to. It makes you as blind as the idol you are clinging to. Go back and think about the context of Matthew 13 then. He tells the parable of the sower and finishes it with, I want you to have ears that hear. Why wouldn't they have ears that hear? Because they're idols in their lives. There are things they are trusting in other than the Word of God, and it deafens you. It blinds you. What scripture does he go on to quote? Isaiah quoting the Psalms. And he said, you're always hearing, but you don't understand. Your heart is calloused. You are the path trampled on. See, Jesus is telling them in advance, you are being given a secret of the kingdom, disciples, because you want to be instructed by the word of God. They already believe they're right and they can receive no more instruction. So they will be choked while they're saying they're right with God. See, this is the defining characteristic of those who are on the wrong path. They need to be right. You know where we have to stay as Christians? Broken. We have to stay in the place where we know that nothing good comes from us. We have to stay in the place where we are receiving, retaining, and persevering in the Word of God because we stand on a solid rock but we ourselves are shaky ground. We have to look and go, any area that I'm not submitting to the Lord has the ability to come back on me and choke me. What would that make you do? Every day look for ways to deny yourself, take up the cross of the kingdom, and follow Him. You know, how many of you have a mezuzah on your house? How seriously do you take it? Can you imagine looking one day and saying, I know it says that, but now God's doing something different? Well, then it was either never right, which is going to excuse a huge portion of your life, or you're now wrong and can't admit it. But there's no neutral column there. It's one or the other. You know how many times I've seen somebody turn their back on their mezuzah and say they've heard from God for a new thing? Early, early in the church, a couple that was going to support us in ministry, help us in ministry, and man, I wanted it. They're amazing people. I love them desperately. Uh, our church would have been benefited in every way by them. Blamed a mistake in the children's church on why they left. It was not the reason they left, but nobody's ever honest about that. To this day have not accomplished the things that they said they were going to accomplish. And it erases all of the prophecies before that were from God. Do, do you hear that? How does something like that happen? The, the thorns are growing up right alongside your faith. You're not dealing with them. 
and in not dealing with them, they're blinding you and blinding you and blinding you until you are convinced you're right in doing whatever you want to do. Who wants to be in that position? Man, I don't. Do you see what Jesus was doing with his homiletic? When you have thorns in your life, they're idols. Idols make you blind and deaf. It takes the Word of God and the Spirit of God to cause your ears to hear. The only one who bears fruit is the noble heart. And why is that heart noble? Well, Luke 8, 15 says it. The noble and good heart who hears the Word. You want to hear the Word? Who retains the Word. Do you want to retain the Word? And who perseveres in the Word. Do you want to persevere? If you stop hearing, stop retaining, or stop persevering, do you know what that does to you? It makes you blind and deaf. The only thing that is a light to your feet is this word. Worship's not a light to your feet. Feeling good. Instagram, uh, Facebook posts, not a light to your feet. The latest object you can buy, latest meal you can have, latest friendship you've established, latest business deal, not a light to your feet. What is a light to your feet? The word. What happens when you are word light? Okay, you remember in the, in the conversation earlier, I'm arguing with Jen. She says, you need to pray. And I asked, how did that make me feel? Okay. When you feel like you're doing something wrong, how much do you want to read your Bible? You'll get to it later, right? Because you want to do what you want to do. One of the clear signs somebody's not doing well in the faith is when their daily, in-depth reading begins to wane. When they stop quoting the word and start quoting tribalisms. When they start talking about communication and personal interaction and no longer are we rooted in the word. It shows up like this. I know, but... It's an acknowledgement the word is right, but uh, a negating uh, word... I'm going to do this. I know the sun must not go down without resolving this, but. I know the word says, but. Do you want that to come out of your mouth? Has it? Be honest. When you're laying next to your spouse, you've had one of those really special arguments. You know that the world is definitely going to end. It's all over. You're going to be ruined. Everybody's going to know how ruined you are. It's all going to be dragged out in the light. And you know what the Word says. Husband, you have to humble yourself. You need to reach out to your wife. You need to reconcile. Why you? Because Christ reconciled with the bride. He came to her while she was in trouble. He didn't wait for her to get right. So if you're a man, and you better be if you're married, you have to reconcile with her. Wife, what do you have to do? You have to respond. Because if you're the bride of Christ, it's because you respond to the groom. You have to. You cannot go to sleep in that situation. What happens when you do, though? Number one, let's just go ahead and say you have, right? We, we know you have. Sorry, this wire's now choking me. It's a thorn. There we go. We know you have. I have. What happens when you do that one night? It's stronger the next day, not, not weaker. The thorn just grew right beside you. Before long, if you set it as a habit, you're sleeping on the couch, she's sleeping in the bed, you're a step away from separate houses, right? People who are getting divorced 100% of the time feel like they're justified. How do they feel like they're justified? It's someone else's fault. It's not their fault. 
it's their spouse. They spend all of their time explaining to you that it's their spouse. That's painful enough to hear that it's very quiet in here. When people are divorcing from the Lord, they do the same thing. They just don't say it's his spouse, the Lord. They say it's his people. Some are obvious enough to say it's the church. The Christians are hypocrites. I can't be a part of that. But most don't do that. They cover their intentions with it's the carpet, it's vapors, it's rats, it's that pastor. It's something, but it is not my relationship to the word. Need to listen. Need to listen to that. You know why? I've been preaching long enough to know that the next one to do it could be you. Could be me. Can you imagine I'm sitting down explaining that I'm not really leaving my call? I'm not really abandoning my mezuzah. God's just called me to work somewhere other than with Wade and Matthew. Would you believe that for a second? That I'm not turning my back on the elders. I'm not turning my back on the mission. See, the thing is, is I'm not really wanted and so I'm just leaving. What would you know instantly was, was the problem? Something's wrong with my heart. I'm in sin, right? You know who won't know that? Me. That's why I've decided in advance to submit my life to leaders. In advance. To submit my life to the Word of God. Because the deceived person never knows they're deceived. Do you know how you get deceived? The thorns grow right along with you. And you don't do anything about them long enough that you're just used to them. Friends, it happens all of the time. I would say it happens to most. And I don't want it to, but it does. The Word of God is everything. Don't allow your old unregenerate character to make decisions. Those who live according to the flesh are going to die. You know what it takes to live according to the flesh? To not do the next thing he tells you to do. That's, that's living according to the flesh. To choose another thing other than what God has said. Do you know what that is? That's living according to the flesh. Anything that is not pushing you towards maturity but away from it, anything that is not pushing you towards fruitfulness but away from it, it is the flesh and it causes death. How serious is it then how we live? Proverbs 4 says it this way. 4 and verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. It's an amazing thing. You can stop quoting the word, stop reading the word, stop loving the word, and everything's wrong with those people who are still doing it. For there are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. What are the words of God? Life to those who find them. Health to the whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. This is because in your heart, things can grow that are not godly. I'd like to talk to you about what that means then. Let's walk through some category three casualties in the word. You ready for that? Are you all still awake? I'm not a cheerleader this morning. I'm not jumping around with pom-poms. You know why? I'm bleeding in my boots for the souls of people. That's the God's honest truth. I am broken over those who have not made it this far and might not make it the rest of the way. I'm broken by that. It hurts. It hurts every day. And the only thing that keeps me going is the knowledge that you will still make it, that we're still in this, that not all have quit, not all have backed away, not all have eased off of the truth for some easier path. Let's talk through these for a second. In the New Testament law in Jesus' hometown, the Scripture says in Matthew 13, verse 53, 
literally, that the people began to question, where did he get this miraculous power from? Where did he get this wisdom from? And in verse 27, I'm sorry, 57, they take offense at him. They take offense at the Lord's miraculous power and his wisdom. Do you know why? He's a carpenter's son. The leaders were offended that he had all of this wisdom from God, all this miraculous power, and he didn't have to do what they had to do to become leaders. He's a carpenter's son. You know what that offense cost them? The very kingdom of God. I'm going to read it to you quickly. He began teaching the people. Leave this slide on the screen. He began teaching the people in their synagogues and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers, sorry Catholic folks, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, aren't all his sisters with us? Uh Uh-oh, so he had brothers and sisters. Where then did this man get all these things and they took offense at him? Jesus said to them, only in a hometown and in his, home, in his own house is a prophet without honor. The worst meeting that Jesus had was in his hometown. Do you know why? They were offended at his humble origins and his miraculous power. Have you ever been offended that somebody was all that? Who do they think they are? What if they're exactly who God made them to be and you just don't like it because you're you? You know... Can you imagine missing the kingdom of God because you were offended at someone's origins? But it happens. It happens right here in the New Testament law. How about the New Testament prophets? In Revelation 9.20, there are plagues being poured out from the heavens. Can you say from the heavens? heavens. And the people still do not repent. Do you know why? Why they don't repent? Think of Jesus' homiletic. Why do people... Hear, or I have ears, but not hear. Well, listen to this. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of their work, of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk. Are you putting the points together here? Why did they not repent? They were as blind as the idols they were clinging to. They could no longer hear. They could no longer see. They could no longer walk with God because they weren't trusting God's Word. They were trusting in a thorn that grew up in their heart. Does that mean that they never had a relationship with the Lord? No, it certainly does not mean that. Thorny soil is when both exist. How about the New Testament writings? Let's let's get into the meat here. You want to talk about hurt? How many of you, if you had a time machine, would go back and see Moses? You had a time machine, would go back and meet the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine traveling with Paul from city to city? Anybody here would like to do that? Let's read about somebody who did. We're going to leave this on the screen. I'm going to read them to you. Colossians 4.14. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send you greetings. If Luke and Demas are friends of Paul and traveling with Paul, what category Christian do you think Demas is? Philemon 24. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Demas is a worker alongside Paul. Was Paul fruitful? You know who helped him do his work? Demas. 
2 Timothy 4, 9. Do your best to come quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. What grew up in Demas's heart? Something other? Something deceitful? What grew up in his heart? See, Demas probably thought he was a finished work, but the reality is there were things growing in his heart that he didn't acknowledge and they overcame him. Now, how do you know Demas loved the world? Is it because Demas told you that he did? Think on that for a second. Where is the work of Demas that explains Demas' side of things? We always love to hear both sides, don't we? You don't have Demas' work? How do you know Demas loved the world? Because the church said that's what happened. That's how you know. You know because the leaders that worked alongside him, that supported him and him them, said this guy's had a radical change in his behavior. And he's had this change in his behavior because something's been growing in his heart that he hasn't dealt with. I bet if he went and met with Demas, he would say something else. You know how I know that? Because I've known lots of people that fell away from the Lord. I've never known any that admitted it. I have more respect for young teenagers that just look and go, I'm not sure I have what it takes to be a Christian. I'm really struggling. Please stop calling me a Christian. I've met teenagers who will do that. Now, I don't agree with them. None of us have what it takes to be a Christian. We need the Holy Spirit to deposit us. They're going to have to learn to rely on the Word of God, stop trusting in their own arm. But I have more respect for the person that says, this is what's happening with me, than the one who thorns are growing beside him. Everybody's wrong, and they're right. And their behavior is radically changing, but they are telling you the problems with you. You know what the issue with that is? It's not one person. It never has been. It's anyone who is not dealing with the soil of their heart correctly. And next week, it could be you. The way John Bevere put this in one of his books was, it's like an ancient Western proverb. A town decided to put a sign up outside. And at the sign, uh, people would stop and they would look at the town and say, what kind of town is this like? And the inhabitants of the town would say, well, what kind of town have you come from? Well, I've come from a terrible town. It's wicked. The people are backbiting. They're mean. They're all hypocrites and they're liars. Well, this is exactly that kind of town. You won't be happy here. You should go somewhere else. The next day, another group comes to the sign and says, we've come from a distant town and uh, we need to know what kind of town this is. He said, well, tell us about the town you came from. Oh, it was wonderful. It was godly and it was fruitful. Our season there finished. We were blessed by them and we're looking for a new town to grow new things in. You'll love this town. That's exactly what this is. Please come on in. The point is, is that we as people often run from our problems expecting something to change in a new place, and we were the problem. The soil of our heart was the problem. Well, we're on that subject. Reading through First and Second Timothy, I want to list for you a few names. Phlygeus. Hermonides, Hymenaeus, Philetus. Do you think that they came into Christ hoping that they would become a cautionary tale? Because all of them are said to fall away. They were men who were in the faith that now were not. Do you think that they wanted the moniker their teaching is spreading like gangrene? But Paul wrote that about his fellow co-workers. Is that interesting? Ecclesiastes 9.18 brings us really to the point. You ready for it? Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. 
It turns out that when you let thorns grow up next to your plant, it's discouraging to everyone, right? What would it do to you if I fell away? Now, praise God, you'd make it. You better make it. If you don't make it, then your faith rests on me and not on Jesus. But would it make your walk harder? Do, do you think there aren't weeds that grow in my life? I'm working to put them to death. Uh, the worst thing that I could do is stop listening to you. The worst thing that I could do is stop reading the word. The worst thing that I could do is crave something other than the life that God has for me. But, you know, I've watched pastors do it. I've watched leaders do it. Watch sheep do it. They never admit to it. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. How much impurity does there have to be before something's impure? Well, it depends on the precious nature of what you're doing. In animal feed, you allow more impurity than you do in your steak. You follow me? In the anointing oil, any measure of impurity disqualified the whole batch. A single fly, no matter how big the vat was, disqualified. So what keeps us from being disqualified? If any impurity disqualifies you, because you acknowledge the impurity and you ask God to remove it. But as soon as you accept it, as soon as you say it's not really impure, the problem is the standard or the people or that's just your interpretation. Man, I hear that a lot. That's just your interpretation. Well, give me yours. Well, I, I, I can't. I know. That's why I asked. When you decide to let a fly stay, you're no longer the aroma of Christ. You're the aroma of something else. Does that make sense? So let me ask, friends, is there anything in your heart, anything in your life, anything in your mind that the Spirit's been dinging you on since we've been sitting here? You can't let it stay. Category three, casualties. Let's go to our next one. Cain. When you think about Cain... Cain got offended with his brother. Why was he offended with his brother? God looks with favor upon my brother's offering, but not on mine. You think about Cain not being in relationship with the Lord, but he's bringing the Lord offerings. We don't know how many years it had been. Why is Cain a casualty? Because he was offended with his brother. Did Cain say that was the problem? No. No, he just went off and built cities in opposition to God. Esau. Esau was supposed to receive the birthright. Esau is his father's favorite. Why was he a casualty? Because desire for other things, other pleasures, something other than the kingdom was growing in his heart and they choked out his faith. Later he wept with tears, but he couldn't get it back. It was already done. How about the prophets? Michael, the daughter of Saul, she marries David and in 2 Samuel 6, she's offended that he's dancing and in what she thinks is a debased or vulgar way and she cuts herself off from the lineage of Christ. Why? Over a dance? It's an incredible thing. Nobody wakes up and says, today I'm going to shipwreck my faith. They don't know it's happening when it's happening. Can, can you understand that? If the Word of God is the light unto your, your feet... If that's what it is, then how much can you see outside of it? You know what you never hear? You never hear somebody say, this scripture and the Spirit of God are in agreement about this new direction in my life, and I'm excited to tell you because I know you'll see it too. You are denounced in advance. 
so that you can do what you want to do. Why did God bring you here? To prepare you for the works of service for which he made you. He brought you here to mature you. What is fighting against that maturity? Do you see habits in your own life? You don't need me to point them out. You know that for some reason gossip finds you. You know that for some reason controversy finds you. You know that for some reason contention finds you. You know that if a, if a prostitute is going to approach a group of 100 people, they're going to approach you. You know, that's, it's, it's an incredible thing how the enemy fishes where the fishing's right, isn't it? Ask yourself, why am I always in this position? And what has to die inside of me so that I'm not in this position anymore? So that the enemy will give up because there is no more weed growing next to me there. See, I know that there are areas in my life that show up repetitively. I'm dragging them before the cross, preaching about them, talking to my friends, and I'm doing everything that I know how to do because I know what happens if I don't. The worst thing that I could do is look at all of you and go, yeah, y'all just don't see me rightly. You know who definitely doesn't see you rightly? You. Definitely. The Word of God will help define it for you. When you think of the Older Testament writings, Asa is an interesting story. I don't think I want to read this, so write down 2 Chronicles 16, 7 through 13. Asa. I lied. I am going to read it. At that time, Hanai, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped your hands. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mightier army with greater numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. Can I tell you as a pastor who speaks the truth, people get pissed off when you look at them and say you're doing something that's stupid? But it's what the prophets did? You know what they say when they're angry at you? You should have chosen other words. You should have chosen a better time. It's not that I disagree with what you said so much as the way that you said it. You needed me to put some butter on it for you. The Word of God is a double-edged sword. It's not a butter knife. Say, well, I just don't like to be talked to like that. You know what? Nobody likes it when their thorns are exposed. Just like I don't like it when my wife says, you need to pray. Or you look at me and say, have you read your Bible about that? You know? But it's exactly what we need, and our reaction is what proves it. When somebody challenges your position, do you get angry? You clench your fists, grit your teeth? Do you run off and hide? Do you need 15 minutes to gather yourself every time? That's 15 minutes of idolatry. You know why? Because you can't offend a dead man. A person who is crucified with Christ is excited when you hear any area of your life that you can still submit to Christ. I have more to give him. More to give him? I didn't realize how wicked and sinful that I'm delighted to bring that to the cross. You're not angry with people who are showing you you don't measure up because you see it as them showing you how to measure up. Maybe that is really 
the secret to those who live with their thorns and those that hate their thorns. Every time I find an area of failure, I find a new way that I get to submit to Christ. It's hard, of course, but that is what the kingdom is. Listen to what happens next. Asa was angry with the seer, you think? Because of this, he was so enraged, he put him in prison. See, the problem's not with Asa. The problem is not that Asa made a bad decision about war, that he was leaning on his own arm. The problem's not with Asa. Who's the problem with? The seer. So the seer gets put in prison. Do you know why? He sees. You know what his crime is? He sees. You know what else his crime is? He speaks. You know what else his crime is? He hears. You mean he has ears that hear, mouth that speak, and eyes that see? Who doesn't? Asa. Did Asa? Of course he did. Why doesn't he now? Because he wants to do what he wants to do. At that same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and of Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. You know what the irony in that is? My 16-year-old son pointed it out. Asa is Hebrew for healing, for physician. And at the end of his life, he only trusted in physicians, not the Lord. You know that might be kind of a Hebrew code? Asa only trusted Asa. Where is your trust this morning? Do you trust your discernment, your vision, your hearing, your walking more than everyone around you, more than the leaders of the church, and ultimately more than the Word of God? Are you sure that you're superior to everyone else? You know, that's where problems with authority actually start. They shouldn't be in authority. I should. They don't know what they're talking about. I do. If that's your default position, how far do you think you'll make it in the kingdom? Asa is a Category 3 casualty. And it's tragic because listen to what was said of him just a few chapters earlier. 2 Chronicles 14.2 Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Do you mean that you can grow, do what is good and right? You know, it wasn't two years. It wasn't five years. It wasn't 10 years. It wasn't 20 years. It was 39 years. 39 years he did good. And now he's shipwrecking his faith right at the end. You know who didn't think he was shipwrecking his faith? Asa. How about in number in, in uh, Kings... 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, Naaman. We're not going to read it. We don't have time. Naaman gets offended. Do you remember why Naaman was offended? If he had only come out and waved his hand over the spot, he didn't like the way the prophet prescribed him healing. Do you remember what happened next? His servant, somebody lower than him, speaks to him and says, if the prophet had asked you to do something difficult, you would have done it. Shouldn't you do it since it's so easy? Naaman repented and went and did it, and so he got healed. Do you know why he got healed? He could listen to the advice of a servant. What would it say about his terrible pride if he couldn't? What if you can't listen to the advice of an equal? 
What if you can't listen to the advice of those who you've said you submit yourself to? Might be on the wrong path, huh? Might be blinded by thorns. 1 Samuel 25. How many of you have been through marriage counseling? Raise your hand. I don't know whether you've ever considered this, but David was offended at Nabal. He was so upset with Nabal, what did he want to do? And he thanked Abigail for coming and speaking to him because it saved him from bloodshed. In other words, David wanted to do what he wanted to do. And how many of you believe David could have done it? I don't know how you think of Nabal, but most people envision him a short, fat, little twerp, right? Yeah, bald. He's always bald. I, I, look, more and more these days, though, I'm saying bald's attractive. You know? the, the point here is David was not guilty of bloodshed. Why? He could listen to a woman. Not even his wife. Just a random woman married to a fool. And he ends up blessed for it. See, Paul says you ought to be able to take those of no account in the church and they should be able to correct everyone else. Right? How much more so when you lose faith in all of your peers but gain trust in yourself? See, what I'm saying is category three storms might be more destructive than any other category. Because you have a faith that's growing, you just have something else growing alongside it. Is there something that needs to die in you today? How many of you know what man's first job was? Let's put Genesis 2.15 on the screen. Genesis 2.15. I hate to rely on you back there, Joy, like this. You're always good for it. But if I can't focus here, there, and there at the same time, I might just read the screen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Why? To work it. Do you mean to tell me that the first man's job was to work the soil so that only the right things grew up in it? What is man's job today? To work the soil of your own heart to make sure only the right things are growing in it. When is the last time you identified something that was growing in your heart that shouldn't be there, you put it to death with the Word of God, and then we celebrated its funeral? See, if you can't even remember the last time you had a wicked thought that you had to admit to, a wicked action that you had to repent from, if you can't even remember, then how long have you been off of your job? See, when somebody's testimony is always that the Lord led them from victory to victory to victory to victory, they're not telling you about a whole lot of their life or they don't see themselves. Do you hear me? The testimony of the Christian who is in category three, which is every one of us, is my faith is growing and these other things are growing, but I'm killing them. Because if I don't, they'll kill me. See, it's a testimony of struggle and warfare. A testimony that says, but by the grace of God, He delivered me. Not by my own virtue, not by my strength, not because I've been walking with the Lord so long. That means nothing. Maturity is not measured in years in the kingdom. It's measured in the number of weeds that have been uprooted in your life. <laughs> Let's just think through this. If in the body of Christ you cannot admit failure, aren't you a failure already? The thing that let you into the body of Christ was your total open announcement to the whole world that you were a complete failure and were giving up your life so that Christ might give you an entirely new one. So now that He's given us a new one, we need to pretend that 
it's pristine and polished? I don't think so. What he's giving us is pristine and polished, but there are unconquered areas of your life. You know, they show up in repetitive things. Do you have an issue, an issue with somebody in the room, an issue even with the ministry, and it comes up every six months? Somehow or another, you're at the center of the same conversation over and over and over. Might be a weed growing in your life that you need to get rid of. Do you just need to be right so badly that you can't uproot it? Because you could be next on the casualty list. And none of us want that. We want everybody to finish rightly. God put Adam in the garden to work it. He put you in his kingdom to work the soil of your heart. I want to read you something that one of you had on Facebook. You ready? Does that scare you? Would you like to know who it is? I'm not telling. Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, the best teacher, the wisest and best friend, and he failed. The problem isn't the leadership or the church you attend. If your attitude doesn't change or your character be transformed, you will always be the same. That's incredible, isn't it? The problem's not everybody else. The problem's the soil of our heart. And the thing is, is dirty soil likes dirty soil. In fact, you can sit on separate sides of the church, never have talked to each other before, get good and corrected about the condition of your heart, and the two people find each other 100% of the time. It's incredible. Herod and Pilate, not friends. Jesus corrects them both. They end up great friends forever. It's crazy, isn't it? As we move this to a place of close, the seriousness with which we need to reflect on the soil of our heart is reflected in this passage. It comes from Matthew 18. You ready for it? Matthew 18 and verse 7. Woe to the world, the cosmos, not worldly people, but the world system. Woe to the creation, you could say, because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come. But woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to, be, to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. How serious is it that you garden your heart? See, if something is allowed to grow in your heart that causes you to sin, it'd be better to cut off your hand, better to gouge out your eye than to let it grow and end up missing the kingdom. You know, this is Matthew 18. You know what chapter that is in your Bible? It's the disciplinary chapter in the Bible. It's the chapter where Jesus Christ himself teaches on how you discipline in the church. That's incredible, isn't it? He's teaching on the attitude with which you are to attack thorns in your life. It's not an, oh, well, I know it's there, but that's just how God made me. Everybody has these thoughts. We're all just sinners. No, it is something to go to war with, to amputate, and to replace with Christ. Amen. And if you actually fall into the devil's trap and you start to believe that nothing is wrong with the behavior, something is wrong with everyone else, you might not be able to come out of it. 
The word here, things that cause people to sin, is the first verse that we were reading, verse 7, is scandalon. This scandalon I've taught on before. I got it from John Bevere, who the lukewarm church calls severe Bevere. That's so sad. Not only is his teaching not severe, it's just truthful. But if you're used to preaching something that is not truthful, the truth feels severe. The nickname Severe Bevere, I don't know whether he takes it as a moniker or a title. I don't know. I just know I've heard him called that. You know, that's an insult to the level of truth, though. Because not only is it not severe, it's just truthful. When the truth becomes to you severe, what does that mean you're in the rest of the time? The trigger on, on a trap on which the bait is placed and which, when touched by the animal, springs and causes it to close, causing entrapment. The devil has put things in your field, an enemy that has planted seeds. It is your unregenerate behavior from when you were a part of the kingdom of the world. Now you've come into Christ, and there are still these areas that have to be hunted down and killed. The enemy... Put them there through your behavior and your submission to Him in a time past. But every time you continue to submit to them, they grow stronger. If you allow them to become disguised as godly, they grow even more strong. But it's still your base nature. And do you know what's happening to you? Every time you take it, every time you grab it, you were falling into a trap. But you know, it doesn't feel like that. You know what it feels like? I was right that's what it feels like i grabbed hold of it they were wrong i was right your trap just as donald trump said the wall just got 10 feet higher right it's getting worse and worse. look at the next definition for scandal the trigger of a trap a scandal on always denotes an enticement to conduct which could ruin the person in question a thorn when yielded to traps you and it leads you into conduct that further ruins you why do we have to weed and feed our hearts why do we have to work it and work it to the extent that it was like cutting off limbs because everybody in the room is in a category three there's a spiritual storm around you fighting for your life and your only hope is to adhere to the word of god What kind of house survives the storm? The one built on the rock. What kind of soil is noble soil? That which hears the word, retains the word, and perseveres in the word. How word-centric should your life be? Should you really be able to make it an hour a day without having a Bible, a scripture card, or a memorized scripture helping you make a decision? If you can go day after day and just say, well, I know what it says. The Bible says something like, how in danger are you of being choked out? Man, you are in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu match with a master, and you have on a blindfold. I'm not trying to give the enemy credit, but get this. The love of most will grow cold. How many? Most. Most. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. If the love of most will grow cold, and there's 100 people in the room, that's 51 of you at least. So how do we make it? You're going to have to be word dependent. Pastor Wade preached a message called Crazy Train. How many of you heard it? Gosh, it was good. I listened to it 
while flying down a Mexican highway. I, I honestly, I think it's my favorite message Pastor Wade's ever preached. Uh, I, I, I loved it. It came at a time I needed to hear it. I was under warfare in Juarez from the moment that I got an hour outside of Juarez. I had every terrible thought that I've ever been plagued with in my life. I'm remembering with perfect clarity demonic things that happen at 15 years old, you know. Uh, two hours, the other side of Juarez, you know, is all fading again and I, I'm, I'm doing great. I don't know why the times of warfare happen like they do. I just know if you let them grow in your life, you lose. So you go to war. Pastor Wade mentioned this scripture, and I want to quote it briefly. 2 Corinthians 2.11. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. His message was to encourage us that the devil is scheming against those in the church. But if we do what the word says in this passage, forgive then we can defeat his schemes. Do you want to defeat his schemes? Yes. Then you have to start to recognize what's been planted in your heart alongside the word, what is growing alongside the word. What is a God beside your God? And for you, many times it's become the holy grail. You fight to protect it because you have to be right about it. Ask yourself, on what scripture does that thorn depend? In other words, if you're tolerating something in your life, what scripture has told you that it's supposed to be there? A conviction that is not placed on God's word is actually an idol. It's an immovable thing in your life that didn't come from God. So what is that? Do you have the right to place your convictions where God didn't? There's a warning for us. Actually, we're closing Matthew 13 and closing our message. This warning comes immediately after the parable of the sower. What is the next parable after the parable of the four soils? If you were God, why would you let weeds grow? Why would you let this happen? Well, the wheat has to grow to maturity, and it needs the resistance of the weeds. The contrast shows that which is wheat and that which is weeds. In an area where you have no resistance, in an area where you have um, no choice, we see no contrast, no distinction between good and evil. And in the parable of the weeds, at the end of the age, something happens. Verse 41, The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. That word is also scandalon. You can either weed out of your life things that don't belong or Jesus will weed you out of his kingdom, but there is no neutral column. How serious is that? So it's 1245. It's that time, right? Could just be another day. In the weeks to come, I promise this will make more sense than it does today. And yet there's something that you can't deny. As we began speaking today, as I cover these topics, somewhere early on in the message, little things begin to come up in your heart and mind. You start to realize that there is truth being spoken to you. And then as time goes on, it fades a little bit, might come back, then fade a little bit, then might switch to another one. And somewhere in the middle of all of that is the wrestling for justification. I don't, I don't really have to. I mean... It's not so much, I, that's not so much a thorn. You can leave here with the exact same soil you walked in with. 
or you can leave here with soil that is as noble as you know how to make it, as illuminated by God as He has shown you how to be, as submitted to Christ as you've ever been in your life, and have the approval of the Lord. When you have the approval of the Lord, do you know what happens among those who also have the approval of the Lord? They begin to see it. They're encouraged by it. This is not all blood and guts. You also see men who have put things underfoot that you didn't think could be put underfoot and you're encouraged by it. Do you know why repentance should be public? Because it might encourage others to repent. Do you hear me? You know what's wrong with repentance in private? When you sin in private and repent in private, then it's easy to do it again in private. I don't want you to drag us through all kind of things. I'm simply saying that it might be the man who is repenting the most that is the closest to the Lord. And it might be the man that's the most confident in his own righteousness that's furthest from the Lord. Can you all feel the truth of that? I'd like to take a moment as a church in the eye of a storm and pull any weed out that shouldn't be there. Like, if there's somebody in this room you're frustrated with, upset with, get it right. Say, so, well, I don't want to bother them with it. Bother them with it. Right? If, if there's something that keeps reoccurring in your life, speak it out loud to the Lord and ask Him to kill it for you, to show you how to kill it. Walk out of here with better soil than you walked in here with. Do you know what that does for you and me? It might suck us a success. I asked you why you came here. You came here to be prepared for works of service, to be fruitful. You know how you do that? You work the soil of your heart. The problem is not with anyone else in the room. The problem is with your own soil. So we're going to worship. We're going to spend some time reflecting on it. We're going to come back together Monday night, come back together Wednesday night, and come hell or high water. And we've seen both lately. We are going to be victorious because if we put to death the sinful nature, we live. The Bible says that. We don't just live. We have life and we have peace. We have the fruit of the Spirit, the adoption of sons. We have a good and full life. And the choice is ours. Stand to your feet and let's choose wisely.